Hello, 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 and welcome to Canadian Made, the podcast where each week we go behind the scenes of the Canadian entertainment industry to find out how things get made and the people who make them. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by America Emery, who is a showrunner and producer extraordinaire. She's worked on many really well-known unscripted productions such as the Great Canadian Baking Show, Master Chef Canada, and a new show that's coming out on February 11th called Best in Miniature. In this episode, Marika really gets into the nitty-gritty of how to make a successful unscripted show. It doesn't matter if you produce formats or totally original unscripted shows. She has the best tips for every situation. So, of course, if you are an unscripted filmmaker, you cannot miss this episode. But if you are not, you can learn a lot from the way the way that she thinks about putting all the pieces together and what has to happen in post to make the magic all come together. She is obviously an incredible showrunner and producer, but she is also just such a cool person. She's so down to earth and she's so lovely and I cannot wait you to get to know her. So without further ado, I know that you are going to absolutely be as obsessed with her as I was after this interview. So here's Marika Emery on how to fix shows that are broken and create new ones from scratch. I want to hear about your very, very first job in the industry, how you broke in. So my first job goes back quite a ways, actually. I, it actually was not a job. It was a volunteer thing that I did when I was, I want to say CJEP. I grew up in, in Quebec, in Montreal, outside of Montreal. I, w- I want to say that I did this in CJEP. So which is like college, like after high school, but before university. So maybe I was like 17 or 18 and uh, we had a family friend who who did this uh, community TV show, you know, when there used to be community TV channels, like, you know, the Wayne's World, like, you know, when that kind of thing, because we grew up in Quebec and I lived on the South Shore and it was very French, like the, it was, you know, the cable, the cable provider had a, a channel and there were like no English shows, but we had a family friend who was the one producer and maker of the one English show on you know, Canalsis, Videotron, whatever it was. And so um, it was called Changing Scene. It was like the original office or, you know, like this kind of weird ragtag bunch of people who made this show where there would be, you know, whatever, changing scenes. So there would be like a cooking segment or an interview about something going on in the news or a guy who talked about car repair. Like it was, you know, but they took over that studio and all the volunteers did all the jobs in the studio. And so it was cool because I, you know, sometimes you got to be the switcher and sometimes you were on camera or you helped build the set and Sometimes I would be a presenter. Like it was, you know, we could do all these things. So anyway, I guess I kind of caught the the bug, but I think it was something, it was always something I was really into. And I think it comes back to like, when I was growing up, we had no, you know, this is a long time ago. So there were, there was no, there was a phase where people just really didn't have cable, right? And we didn't have cable 
like all pretty much through my childhood up until I was about 13 or 14. So I think this TV thing was always something that I wanted that I couldn't have. So I don't know. I feel like this interest in TV was always there for a long time. So, but my first kind of exposure to anything was through changing scenes on Videotron 10. <laughs> wow, that's that's got to be one of the best ways to start though, to just be <laughs> all hands on deck, doing absolutely everything, trying a little bit of something new every day. And so then because that show was unscripted, do you think that that's where you caught the the unscripted bug or the reality bug? Yeah, maybe. I mean, certainly it was doing, I was doing that stuff and, and kind of gravitating more towards that kind of stuff over drama. Like, I mean, it wasn't called reality or, you know, unscripted. It wasn't any of that. It was just like info TV, I guess. I don't know what it's called. <laughs> and then really what happened is that through university, I, I did a film and communications degree at McGill. And there was, there was a lot of people who went down kind of the scripted you know, learning how to write or more drama side. I think I was always kind of more interested in the docu side of things. I I came to Toronto not long after I graduated. And um, the first job that I got was actually with a documentary production company. So that was kind of where it kind of flowed, you know, professionally. I worked actually for actually a, a really well-known producer, producers. Um, it was, it was called Associated Producers. I think there's still an iteration of Associated Producers, but filmmakers are Simcha Yakubovich and Elliot Halpern, Rick Bienstock, all of whom are like multi-Emmy <laughs> winning filmmakers. Um, Elliot uh, uh, runs a company now called Yap Films that does a lot of factual, historical, one-off documentaries a lot. They've done they've done a ton of stuff. Like every year they're nominated for awards. And then Simhad has more recently, one of the projects that he did was that it, uh, Enslaved that came out last year, this um, six-part history of the Atlantic slave trade with Rick Bianstock, who's another really well-known documentary filmmaker, and she's done uh, a million things. So that was kind of my first job is working with people who are kind of like titans now in the <laughs> documentary world. And I was like, you know, making, I don't know, taking checks to the bank and you know, trying to organize their books and I don't know, whatever. They were really small at the time and it was all like on a little um, townhouse. So I worked with them for about four four and a half years. That's probably one of the most incredible starts into the industry because you have this crazy experience where you're doing everything and then you literally go get to be with the best of the best. Yeah. I mean, I didn't know it at the time. I mean, I thought, no. <laughs> you know, I thought it was like a, the most horrendous thing ever, but, um, <laughs> you know, it was like, but yeah, I mean, I certainly learned a lot and that's the thing, like I've always worked for small mom and pop style places, which, which have their own issues. Right. Cause it's like, you're just too much in everybody's business and you have too many opinions on everything, but you do learn a lot. They would take me to onlines and mixes and, you know, all these things that, you know, if you're a set PA or something like that, you're just not getting exposed to the whole process of how, you know, something goes from like an idea, they, you know, it gets pitched, it gets, you know, financed, you put it together you know, you shoot it, then you you edit it, like all of it. Like I got to kind of really have a front row seat on all of that. And um, they were, you know, really generous also just in terms of 
how much they kind of would, okay, America, come to this, come to that. And I would sit in mixes and and they would be making tweaks and I have no, I like, I'm like, I cannot hear any difference at all. Like, I don't know what you guys are doing, but it seems like people are hearing things. That took a while for my ear to kind of click and go, oh, now I can hear the bird chirps or I can hear the inflection change or whatever, right? So it's just one of those things, like, I don't think you you know, come out of school knowing, oh, I know how to mix something or I know how to adjust to adjust the audio here or give direction on a voice there. Like you just kind of have to sit and watch people do it. That's always been kind of how I learned. Yeah. I'm, you know what, I'm the same way actually. So since then, obviously you have become a specialist in premiere seasons. Yes. <laughs> so can you, maybe talk about your journey a little bit to becoming a specialist. And then if you have any, you know, tips and tricks that you can give our audience on what makes maybe not a first season successful, because maybe that's out of your control, but what makes it really a good quality first season? Yeah. So, yeah, because I had worked with them as like a documentary thing. So they weren't doing series and series were really not as big, like really up until the early 2000s when all these new channels got licensed, right? So all these lifestyle and, you know, discovery and life network, like all those channels got licensed and all of a sudden they needed content. And so the way to fill it was a lot of people moved into doing series, right? Because for kind of almost the same effort as a one-off, you could crank out 26 gardening shows or whatever. So I ended up doing those kinds of shows. And in that process, there was a lot of new series coming out. So I ended up working on first seasons on a number of shows. The big overall lesson of a premiere season is your the only goal of a first season is to trigger a second. That's that's all you're trying to do with your first season. So it's kind of like it's really tricky because and I've just done a, I've just done two first seasons but this this first this one that I've just done it's really tricky, right? Because everybody wants to do something no one's ever seen before. And, oh, we're going to break mold and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And none of that ever works, right? Because then you put it together and everyone's like, ah, oh, this is too like weird of a departure. Like it's not quite familiar enough, you know? So, and then, you know, once you've shot it, you're kind of, you're stuck. You kind of only have what you have. There are a million ways that you can move your footage around and tell something in a different order or this kind of stuff. But if, it didn't get said, it didn't get said. So that's the one thing you don't really have that much maneuverability with. What I try to do when I'm doing a first season is I try to create as many flexible options as possible. And by that, what I mean is there's always a tendency to overscript, which I'm not a big fan of overscripting in general, especially for factual, because Factual has a certain thing where it's got to have a certain uh, amount of energy and drive to it at the beginning, right? So if you're bogged down with people listening to script explaining what the show is, you're kind of in trouble. You're dead in the water there, right? Because like, can we get some action? So I try to build in as many options so that, okay, people really, you know, when it's when it's new, people really want things to be explained. But the script is never the only way you can explain things, right? So that's the thing that I always try and keep in mind. Okay, let's give them the script, but let's give ourselves like outs in the script so that we can get out of all this script. 
And, you know, let's use clips, let's use, you know, little cold open builds, you know, all these kinds of things that are cumulative in trying to explain what a show is, right? So if you look at the show like The Baking Show, where it's really that opening season tease is it's building, right? It's telling you where we are, who are our 10, who are those judges? What are the things we're going to see? Oh my goodness. Wow. 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 You know, and like little sound ups of nerves and I can't believe I'm here. I'm so excited. You know, so all of that stuff, it's all cumulative to kind of pull you into a world, right? Like you could script that, but why? Like, let's make it something that's like visually and, and auditorily pulling you in much more than delivering script with people listening. Like people listening on TV is not very dynamic. I think that that's such good advice. And I find now that I've spoken to producers for unscripted and scripted, I really love the passion in which unscripted producers talk about story. It's, <laughs> it's so fun because you get to be, it sounds like you get to be kind of like the Lego master. Like you have all the pieces and you have to put them together. Whereas, you know, being in scripted, you have so much you have to follow or so much that people have already put it put together for you and you get to be like the 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 person that actually puts it together in a in a fun way (laughs) yeah I think you know I actually have I've never done scripted stuff professionally at all I'm a huge um watcher of all kinds of uh scripted stuff I do have a real penchant for like fantasy and sci-fi but (laughs) and like you know dreams of of doing something like that. But anyway, but I do know that, you know, again, with with that kind of stuff, you really, it's so planned out in advance, right? Um, And that's not to say that the unscripted is not planned in advance. Everything is planned. You you set a stage, right, with with unscripted. And actually, it was uh, a few years ago, I went to, um, I think it was Banff, I went to, and um, the two, the one of the producers of uh, Project Runway, and Project Runway is like one of my favorite shows. I think it's really an OG, masterful, unscripted series. And the the producer, the original producer of that, Dan Cutliff, was there, and I listened to him, and I literally was like hanging on every one of his words, like because he was just so like just the things he was talking about is really how casting for these unscripted shows is absolutely and utterly key. It is, you know, that is what it is. You, you, you cast and you, you create then situations to put these people into that then yield infinite myriad, uh, infinite, like unexpected results. That's really what you're doing. Right. And then the post process is really kind of taking it all apart and putting it back together into the story into a story that you you want to tell not like not really what the what happened but what's the story you want to tell and how does it fit in like how does what happened in this episode fit in with where they end up you know eliminated two weeks down the line or whatever it is right so you're kind of you're kind of really playing a long game with your characters as well so there's it's extremely multifaceted when you're trying to build these these um these elimination shows and, and it's, it's very much, I know that it's always collaborative. It's always a very collaborative process, whether you're in drama or in unscripted, but there's a particular kind of collaboration, I think. And this is the kind of team that I like to put together where, you know, we have, you know, we have our story team that's really drilling down into, 
you know, how did you feel when the judges said this? Or, you know, what did you, what were you thinking when you put this and this together? You know, kind of drilling them on things. Um, I, I have an editor that I work with and I always feel that having somebody who represents post in your control room do, during uh, an unscripted show is absolutely invaluable, you know, and, and we have our writers who are also kind of judge director kind of, so they're guiding a lot of things. So there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot that goes into kind of making those challenges happen and keeping it dynamic and, and all of that. It's a huge collaboration to get those, the challenges as rich and exciting and dynamic as they are. So when you're first starting off, do the projects find you or are you finding the projects? Um, I've been kind of really lucky. I went through kind of a phase of, I've, I've had my own company and I've done, I've done a bunch of things, but in the past sort of 10 years, I, I really wanted to do something that, um, that, that was, I wanted to, to, to really do entertainment. Like I wanted to go from kind of factual informative and I wanted to go more towards entertainment. And, um, I had an opportunity, um, through a friend of mine and she introduced me to proper television and I was really lucky to get in, get a foot in the door there. And, uh, I ended up, so my first job with them was, was as a story editor for, for MasterChef Canada, for the premiere season of MasterChef Canada. <clears throat> it was really kind of exactly what I wanted to do. Like a kind of, you know, it is food. So it's got that kind of like cooking aspect, but it's main network. So it's got this big kind of entertainment feel to it. And um, I was, I was really lucky because I, they put me on the first episode and I kind of super nerded out on MasterChef US to do that job. And I took their, their shows and I like literally broke them down scene by scene because you're like, well, how are they putting this together? And then what's happening and how are they ratcheting the drama? And then look, oh, there's a reveal. And how did they do that? So I had it all kind of like broken down in my head, how you do MasterChef. Like I've kind of figured it out. So I took that formula and like, I kind of applied it doing that very first episode they put me on the first episode the like premiere episode like all right well I better get my shit together and figure this out <laughs> um and so there was a big adjustment in terms of like the pace of that show because again it's not a food show and it's not a oh you know when you render uh the fat on a duck breast you want to you, you know what I mean like you're gonna kind of go oh render that fat you know like you're just kind of want to go fast through it right because that rendering the fat on the duck breast it's not informational. It's a jeopardy point. Like, did you do it? Did you not? And are you going to get an apron because you didn't do it properly? Right. So there, the stakes of that are completely different, right? Mm -hmm. There's actually stakes to whether you uh, could render the duck fat. So um, I did that first episode and the pace was a bit off, but I think we were kind of in the right ballpark. And then it ended up, you know, it takes a number of like cuts to to get there you don't get it right on your first cut but you know the first episode first episode kind of worked really well what ended up happening was that the, a few other episodes were kind of going in were in trouble and it was like the executive producer Kathy James who's excellent she was just like she was giving notes it was kind of like what's wrong with this it's still not working like they're executing her notes but it still wasn't working and I remember looking at the cut that she had and I said oh it's because it's not reverse engineered and she's like oh <laughs> right because you kind of have to look at your outcome and then you you reverse engineer that so if somebody 
doesn't have rendered duck breast, you know, the fat isn't rendered on their duck breast, you've got to tell the story about how, well, I took the duck breast, but I don't really know how to cook it. So I think I'm going to just get it to this color and hope for the best, you know, so you're kind of reversing that story so that as a viewer, you understand this one fumbling around with the duck breast gets ripped by the judges. Oh, that's why. That's what happened was that basically I kind of had that formula for here's how you do it. And then it was kind of like, okay, well, can you go fix it? So, so basically I ended up helping with probably about half of the episodes, even though, and I think there was a lot, and there was a lot of episodes. It was like I think 15 in that first season, which is unheard of now. And then in second season, I basically what became the edit supervisor, post super, I don't know, not, not post supervisor, but like post producer was what I was more. And I went on set um, at the beginning as well, uh, at the beginning of the shoot to kind of just kind of say, oh, they didn't say enough about this or those results didn't quite work. Or I would just kind of like drive things that I knew we needed for post sort of like connective tissue, which when you're in the thick of it, shooting you you're just trying to they're just trying to get through the day right this is like oh my god whereas I would get in there and go ah can we get a pickup about why you know that thing was too salty or you know whatever it is right so I would kind of be always trying to pipe up to get the little bits and pieces that we would need to help make the results make sense by season four there have been some changes in um, personnel on that show and a and the opportunity to produce the series came up and I was like, yeah, I'd love to do that. So um, it was great. It was really great to kind of be involved from, from the beginning and to help build the challenges as, you know, actually having like three seasons under your belt of knowing like what kinds of challenges work, what don't, you know, what kinds of things the challenges need to make them interesting and kind of um, dynamic. So you yield um, different results, right? Because you don't want everybody making the same thing. It was really that. Uh, so in terms of like, do things find me? I They always kind of do, right? That's kind of what happens. You just kind of, you know, kind of, <laughs> you're at the right place at the right time, really. I think that's how it kind of works. And then um, when I did, after I did season four, again, proper was, um, they were super lucky because they were chosen by CBC to produce the Great Canadian Baking Show. And it's funny because I knew they were looking for somebody and I didn't, I didn't know what they were, what they were going to do. And, but I, I watched the show a little bit and I thought, oh, this is a bit weird. The show, like it's so slow. And like I watched the, the, I watched the British version. I was like, it's so slow. Anyway, I think the thing was that they knew me there and they knew I could produce. And so Kathy just kind of said to me, America, would you consider it? And I said, let me take a look at the show like properly over the weekend and I'll let you know. And I watched it and I, I realized that, you know what, this could be super great. Like the, the more, and that's the thing with that show, like it just sucks you in. Right. Especially the British one, which is so slow and it really is a slow burn, but looking at it, I just kind of thought, you know, this could work really well for Canada. But knowing, though, that the challenge really was that, you know, we were taking a, a hugely popular template of a show that's, you know, 50 plus minutes long. It's like almost an hour, that show. And we would have to do the same. You, you couldn't cut out a challenge because everybody loves the three challenges. And uh, so, but you had to deliver it in like a 44-minute format so but I think that's actually 
what makes it work because I think the North American, I think the Canadian audience is very specific because we're used to pace of US shows, but we like the feel good of the Brit shows. And I think that's where our, our Canadian version of the baking show is, is probably better than any version of the U S show because, you know, they haven't quite like found the right key there to get the U S people on side. But yeah, for us, it's, it's, it really is. There's a, there's a Canadian audience has a, a specific thing to it, a specific view um, that, that I think the baking show really captures. It really gets it. There was one thing that to go back to MasterChef, there was one thing that you wrote on, I think it's your production website about how you uh, fix shows that are broken. Yes. And I love how you explained your process of how you put uh, a season of reality TV together. And it's about reverse engineering. It's about figuring out what the outcome is and going backwards. I think that that's such good advice because I think sometimes you can lose the, um, how does that expression go? Get absorbed. for the trees. It's the force for the trees, right? Thank you so much. (laughs) And you know what? I've, I've been a story editor and I've worked with a lot of story editors and there, you know, there's a a lot of people that work in factual um, have a very solid grounding in in being true to the material, almost it's the, it's like almost the ethics of it, especially like with a documentary, right? Like you're not going to kind of distort, you know, and I was talking to somebody who did something for the Smithsonian or something, and they're like super sticklers for like fact. And it's like, well, of course they're the Smithsonian, right? It's like, you can't go around saying, oh, you know, make up some voiceover about, you know, the, the chalky cliffs when there's no chalk in that cliff, right? You can't say that. So even though it looks white, like is it's really like you're, you're trying to build to an outcome, right? And that outcome is something that you, you're using what actually happened. So again, like the duck breast was not cooked properly, right? You're, that is something that happened, but I need to create my own, like, I need to create my own narrative of how you got there. And if it means that you're a bumbler and you n- never cooked duck breast before, then that's the t- story I'm going to tell you. Never mind that the duck breast was in the fridge and you didn't let it rest. And like, what's the truth of why you didn't know how to cook it? Who cares? I'm not not being truthful. I'm just not getting bogged down in a whole bunch of irrelevant details. That's the difference, right? And that's the difference with primetime entertainment and a step-by-step how-to show, right? A step-by-step how-to show. Yes, it does matter that my duck breast was in the fridge and it didn't come down to room temperature and therefore the fat, you know, those are important things to, to know. But I'm I'm trying to get to the thing why you get ripped by the judges for not having properly cooked duck breast. So in that case, I'm going to tell a different story or a different angle on that story. So that's really what it's about. And the only way you can really you can really do that is by making like a firm decision, like how deep down this rabbit hole am I going for the outcome that I need? And, and how am I going to tell the story of you being a bumbler, right? That's what I'm, that's the story I'm trying to tell. I'm not making you into that. I'm highlighting those moments where you are like that. Sort of the answer about the reverse engineering and how you tell the story. It's really about 
you being in control of the material and not letting that material control you and not getting lost in that material. And a lot of that is, is having to, um, make decisions. You mentioned two formats, MasterChef and uh, Bake Off that came from other countries and and already existed. But of course, you've been involved in a number of shows that were original. And uh, one of them, which is coming out next week, uh, Best in Miniature. So can you talk a little bit about what, what that process looks like when it's a totally new show? Yes, yes. That is like really, really challenging. It's really challenging. It's really, really challenging. And Best in Miniature, which uh, launches on Gem on the 11th, all all 10 episodes will be there. And that is miniature artisans who we follow them as they build their uh, unique miniature house from scratch. That is, you know, it's something that's really, you know, progressive, right? So every episode a little bit more gets done to the house. But, and that in and of itself is a unique format point, right? Because in any other show, you make a cake. I made my three-tier floral cake, garbage, next time, you know, next, next, right? Like anything you make, even, you know, all the other shows, Project Runway, you make a dress, garbage, next. Like, whereas this thing is uh, a house, you have to keep going back to it and you have to keep seeing it progress. So that in and of itself presented all kinds of like timing challenges, continuity challenges, how to like, how do we follow this progress? How do we, you know, kind of tell the story of something to kind of see, oh, are they staying true to their style? You know, so you've got a whole bunch of challenges on that front as well. So creatively, that one is tricky. And as well, getting the stakes in there, like, you know, what's at stake for them? And, you know, you've got mini stakes and and bigger stakes. So it's following the stakes through the competition. So yeah, that one, it was, it was definitely challenging. You know, you have to kind of create rules around what, what you can bring with you, what, how much you can be, how much you can do in advance because you want them to plan it. You want them to be successful, but you also don't want them to come with everything already cut out and done. And the other thing that was a big learning curve for us going into the miniature world was understanding how to level the playing field because a lot of miniature artisans use different techniques and tools and their own shortcuts and so on. I mean, they can all yield. Some people make things from from absolute scratch. They take, you know, chunks of wood and cut it out and hammer it together and, you know, make make a sofa. Some people use laser cutters and they they program that into a computer like they use CAD and press a button and all the pieces are cut out and they just assemble it like a jigsaw puzzle right and we didn't actually fully understand all of that that and the people that we we were talking to in casting we were you know kind of well how do you work like we really had to drill into how people work to understand oh how you know how does this happen and and then realized that the laser cutter usage was a bit like bringing a Duncan Hines cake to the baking show. Like it was a bit like that, you know, because it was like, here I am on my computer, I press print, boom, and it's done, right? So we had to kind of break that down and really understand how people work and then come up with a way to make it fair across the board so that we could really see what we're really watching is people make things from scratch. Like there's the, that's the, the artisanship or artistry 
of it is making it from scratch. So the, the I think, you know what, I think with all these things, and this just goes back to the documentary side of things, all of it is when you work in factual, you kind of become a super expert at really weird, obscure things. To do these shows and to kind of have a shot is you really do have to become an expert, especially as these competitions become more and more niche. It's one thing when you do, you know, MasterChef, which is like home cooks, right? So I can relate as a home cook. Okay, I know how to make, you know, whatever. Like, okay, I make mashed potatoes. or You, you can relate to all of that, right? But you can't necessarily relate to like how you make miniature furniture. Like that's a whole other thing. So you really do have to dig deep into the processes. You have to, you have to do it. You have to do the work. Yeah. And I, I noticed something on your Instagram, actually, that you had been watching like an industry panel with cast members from the American Love Island. Oh, yeah. So I would be completely remiss if I didn't ask if when you watch reality shows just generally, they, are you always thinking, how can I bring this to Canada? And if so, have you considered bringing Love Island to Canada? Are you going to do it? <laughs> oh, I don't know. I mean, I, I haven't thought about it. If somebody wants to do it, I'd be I'd be down. I know they do it in uh, in Quebec. They do. They do. Uh, French version. There's a French version. I didn't know that. Yes. Yeah. L'Ile de l'Amour. And I watch actually, uh, funnily, I do watch uh, Quebec, a dating show. And I, I, it's really good. It's called Occupation Double for anybody listening that watches that. But it's really, really well done. It's this kind of quasi Love Island meets Big Brother. It's really, really well done. And and the host is amazing. So I do watch that. I actually haven't watched uh, Le Amour, but I, you know, it's funny. I haven't really done dating shows, but I think I would like it. I, I think, I'm not sure. I think it's a bit crazy, but anyway, no, I don't, I don't know. I haven't really thought about it. <laughs> yes. I would like to know your... Hollywood moment in your career, the moment that you thought, wow, I feel so proud of what I did. I probably have a few. I think the the series, I did a series in uh, 2004, I think it came out. It was an original series called Neat and it was um, Cluttered House Makeovers. And I did it with a, I had a partner for that. Her name was Gita Sandi. And I was really, really, really proud of that show. Like that was an original idea that we had. I, you know, we did it pretty much on our own uh, without another production company as our, you know, to partner with. We raised, we raised the financing ourselves. We did interim financing. It was like just two, you know, young women who kind of, I don't know, somehow by hook or by crook, we got it done. We raised the financing. We got interim financing. We sold it into the U.S. And you know what? It was like kind of the show that for me on a creative level, it was like like in the sweet spot for me because it really is, it's got information. It's got like real life people. And, and it's something everybody can relate to. So it's like real life people who, you know, they're just like overwhelmed by clutter. Like there's like, and, and the way we did it was kind of like, if you think about it now, it's like hoarder's light where it wasn't, you know, the whole house. It was really uh, one room in a house or like a basement or something that was really cluttered and overwhelming. And it was always as a result of a big life change, like whether they just had a baby or they just got married or they got divorced or their kids left the house or whatever it was, 
there was always a story behind why you had just let all this stuff fester and keep going. And so it was a really cool little series and it really kind of had this combo of like humor and takeaway info and like this really kind of satisfying reveal at the end. And it was full of tips and stuff like that. And it just looked cool. Like it just looked nice, you know, and, and, and the host was lovely. And anyway, I just feel like that show was kind of like a good moment, a good Hollywood moment. I've had a few for sure. And I think when MasterChef launched the first episode, I was like, wow, like, that's amazing. (laughs) You know, CTV main network. Wow. You know, like for me, that was a big deal, you know, primetime entertainment. And I think also, you know, doing the baking show and, 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 uh, and doing, you know, Dan Levy in there and, and yeah, it was, it was, it was good. There was some really nice moments for sure. Yeah. So to finish off, can you recommend a Canadian show? It doesn't have to be like your favorite Canadian show, but just something maybe that you watched recently that you think, oh, that's, I w- I definitely would recommend that. Okay. I, there is one that I want to give a shout out to that I think is really worth, worth watching. And a friend of mine is the director. So it's an, it's a web series on Gem called True Dating Stories. It's their third season. It's a great little snack of a show, right? It's got these like ridiculous dating stories and with and then they're acted out but they're acted out in this really kind of really fun cheeky show cheeky way and uh yeah so a friend of mine is the is what was the director in second season then she was the producer as well and so she's done a great job with that I think the other show that is I haven't watched it all but I think it's really it looks great is the one called uh sort of I think that looks like a great show yeah, so that's been getting a lot of um, yeah. hype, even in the States, which is always exciting for a Canadian show. Yeah, it's great. To be crossing the border. So, yeah. yeah. Amazing. I, I really like, I like those shows. I, I think that, uh, I think that the more kind of people lean into who they are, the better the show. Uh, yeah, 100%. The more genuine and the same with um, I, everything that you said with bake, a baking show. I have to agree with because that was for me and I'm so glad that you said this and (laughs) just to backtrack for a second that it was everything that I loved about the Canadian version as well because I felt I felt that way about the British version that there was something really wonderful about it but it was too slow for me I I loved what you did with the Canadian show that you took it that you condensed it that you kept the warm fuzzies but just heightened it and yeah. it's so extraordinary. And I love how you articulate it because it's just exactly how I felt as a viewer. Thank you. You know what? I'm really proud of that show. Um, it was it was a real, real honor to to get to do that show, really. Like and I, that I got to do four seasons and we survived like two host changes, you know, and I really hope I, I do hope that that show 20 years from now, you know, <laughs> like it goes. Yeah. On. Well, I mean, already <laughs> it's it's had such a long life. Yeah. Just I mean, in Canada, I think having five seasons of a show is a huge accomplishment. And so I think it's only going to go up and up. Like people are just can't get enough. (laughs) That's it. And, you know, that's the thing, like, you know, it's, it's really tough because you work so hard on a first season, but it actually takes three for people to even know that it's there. Like, Oh, is that on TV? (laughs) Yeah. For three seasons already. I've been killing myself for three years. Um, like oh maybe I'll catch that it's like okay thanks and yeah so it's really it takes a long time I don't know why it takes a long time for the Canadian shows to kind of 
click in, right? And even Shit's Creek, like it took them, what, four seasons before it became a thing. And yeah, I think it's great. I mean, I think that the unscripted stuff, it's almost like stuff that's in the background, you know, like, but there's just as much work and just as much yeah. like brain power that goes into these shows. as Maybe even more. <laughs> yeah, in some ways, because you, you really do have to, oh, the problem solving doesn't end when you finish shooting, right? The way that I've overhauled episodes, you know, like full episode after episodes, like, no, yeah, no, we'll do this and move this around. Like it really is, doesn't stop when you finish shooting. Like you're really, it's really just the beginning with a reality, you know, with unscripted, you're really making it in the edit. So yeah. Thank you so, so much for all of your time and all of your tips for, for everything that you shared and coming on. I so appreciate your time. And this was, this was so fun. Yeah. It was great to chat with you. Thank you so much. Please don't forget to rate and review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. It really supports the show. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next Wednesday.